Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 116, recorded on May 5th, 2021. The Cloud Pod is positively charged for AWS Proton. Good evening, Jonathan, Peter, and uh, Ryan. The cat got off your the kitten got off your lap, huh? And you made it this week. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> I am back. Uh, well, I mean, in honor of you being back, I almost made the show title uh, Yahoo is back and cheaper than ever, which has a lot of different meanings tonight. <laughs> Either you're the Yahoo or there's a Yahoo in play. I mean, I, there's lots of different things. Uh, but, you know, because because that Yahoo is your alma mater, you used mm-hmm. to work there back in the Stone Ages. Uh, you know, we th- we thought we'd touch base quickly here on uh, Verizon selling Oath uh, to Apollo Management Group, who rightfully saw the most valuable asset of the entire package was the Yahoo name and immediately renamed it back to Yahoo. Yes. <laughs> so clearly, clearly they're a very good PE firm as they immediately saw the value of the brand and took care of that problem, which I thought was ridiculous when they named it Oath to begin with. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the Verizon CEO, Hans Vesberg, who actually didn't buy the AOL Yahoo uh, thing, he said the business has a lot of growth potential but needs full investment in the right resources, which, you know, Apollo Group is not a bad choice to get that. So we'll see. Maybe this isn't the end of Yahoo, which I thought it was going to slowly die in the Verizon brand, but uh, apparently not. I think it suffers the same problem as a lot of content providers that, you know, if you're not Netflix, then no one knows what to do with you, you know, in a lot of ways. And so I think I think this is a good thing. I don't think Verizon ever really sort of had a, a real good vision. They tried to, you know, consume a lot of the technologies and a lot of the scale. But in the end, I it was always a weird fit for me. So I think this is good. What is left of Yahoo now, anyway? They own a ton of properties. <laughs> I mean, the, the most important one is probably Yahoo Finance, which is pretty mm-hmm. much still the de facto go-to place people check stock prices. Yeah, I use yeah. It. And if you expand that to global and the, the the regional sites, it's 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 huge. Like the number of eyeballs on Yahoo properties is still very very high. Well, we'll wish them the best of luck as they uh, they move forward in their their new their new ownership group, and maybe maybe they'll be big again. Maybe mm-hmm. Yahoo. This is the rebirth of the Yahoo Renaissance. Wait, how would you how would you put Renaissance and Yahoo together? I don't even know. It's it's too complicated. <laughs> Yahoo Renaissance. Yeah, this isn't gonna go well. <laughs> yeah, this isn't gonna go well. We're just gonna move on. Well, it is uh, earnings season as usual here at the end of Q1, going into Q2. It is time for all of the cloud providers to give us their earnings and tell us how they did. And I will tell you, net-net, the tech sector crushed Q1. <laughs> Just absolutely blew it out of the water across the board. Uh, we have to really talk about like all the net revenue, net loss, and all that kind of stuff. We're going to cut that out. We're just going to kind of drop this down to just the part that you guys care about, we think, which is the cloud cost, uh, cloud revenue part of the story, uh, which is the most important to our show. Uh, if you disagree, and we had this debate before the thing, uh, you know, let us know on the Slack channel. We'd love to hear otherwise that. Because uh, Ryan said that, you know, how I explained it, at least, it, it made sense to his, his Yahoo brain. And so, uh, you know, he, he thought it was helpful for our listeners, possibly. And I, I don't know. Maybe it is. Right. I, again, you should not be taking your financial advice from me, though, in any way, shape, or form, because I am not an expert for SEC filings. Uh, but uh, so we'll just go through that. Uh, but let's summarize the cool stuff. So Amazon had a $54 billion run rate uh, exiting Q1 2021, which is a 32% year-over-year growth. Uh, for the prior year. So, you know, that we were talking about the kind of the slow decline of their growth rate, which was dropped below 30%. They jumped it back up to 32. So that's a pretty big jump, uh, which is quite good. Uh, Azure exited uh, Q1 with a $30 billion run rate with growth of 46% year over year, uh, which is estimated as they don't ex- they don't break it out like Google and AWS do still. Uh, boo, Azure. Let's get on the bandwagon. And then Google Cloud uh, had $16 billion run rate leaving Q1, uh, which is 46% year over year. But that does include GCP and G Suite revenue. Um, in their particular number. So net-net, cloud infrastructure spending grew 35% to $41.8 billion in Q1 2021 per analysis uh, investment analysts. Uh, and Q1 2020 was the first year, cro- the first time it's ever crossed $40 billion, growing $11 billion since Q1 last year. So that's just crazy. <laughs> I just, I just, those numbers boggle my mind. Although I have seen my Amazon bill lately, so that doesn't make <laughs> yeah, sense. really. <laughs> Uh, Gardner is predicting for the year that uh, cloud revenue will, will eclipse $332 billion, up 23.1% over tw- the $270 billion that they did in 2020, which is a pretty healthy increase. And I assume that expects you know, pandemic easing and a bunch of other things happening that will definitely grow the cloud revenue story. I mean, how could you not invest in this industry 
if you've got money on the sidelines making 0%, and here's this industry as a whole growing by 20 plus percent per year. Yeah, I, I would put my money there. <laughs> yeah, that's why that's why the Amazon stock price just keeps going up and up and up in compensation for Yahoo employee or Amazon employees is so tied to uh to stock price and stock options and all those things. Cause that it's continued to be a rocket ship for them for years now, which yeah. you know, when that runs out, it'd be, it might be an interesting world, but you know, that's still many years down the road, I, I think. Yeah, I think at least a decade. <laughs> well like, uh, there's so much compute still, you know, oh, to move. easily. Yeah. So much compute still to move. I don't know what the percentage is. I, I saw it not long ago, and I was kind of still shocked how low that percentage number yeah. is. When they talk about overall IT spend, um, it's still you know just fractions of what the overall spend of the market is. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Jedi is back once again. Uh, unfortunately, the groundhog popped up. Uh, the U.S. court denied motions by the DOJ and Microsoft to dismiss the AWS services lawsuit, and so that means that he saw the shadow. And so Jedi continues for at least six more months. <laughs> Uh, the U.S. court rejecting this motion also leads to potential subpoenas for former President Trump and many others in the Trump administration, which could get very interesting uh, very quickly, uh, depending on what is disclosed in those uh, court filings. Uh, an AWS spokesperson gave a statement to the register. Uh, the record of improper influence by former President Trump is disturbing, and we are pleased the court will review the remarkable impact it had on the Jedi contract award. AWS continues to be the superior choice and will provide the best value to the DOD and the American taxpayer. And favorite bully pulpit, Frank X. Shaw, VP of MS Communications, uh, said, Not once, but twice, professional procurement staff at the DOD chose Microsoft after a thorough review. Many other large and sophisticated customers make the same choice every week. We continued for more than a year to do the internal work necessary to move forward on Jedi quickly, and we continue to work with the DOD as we have more than 40 years on mission-critical initiatives like supporting its rapid shift to remote work and the Army's IVAS system. I just can't wait for President Trump to be talking under oath. That'll be interesting to see how that one goes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that would go. <laughs> and I'll be in, impeached for the third time. <laughs> no, <just Yeah. laughs> no more impeachment now. No, yeah, just, no, no. Straight to jail. Just, straight to jail. Do not pass go. Well, uh, my prediction of the verticalization of cloud continues to be winning in spades uh, with the Amazon FinSpace announcement this week, which simplifies data management and analytics for financial services companies. The FinSpace uh, service reduces the time it takes to find and prepare data from months to minutes so analysts can spend more time on analysis. Uh, FinSpace removes the undifferentiated, undifferentiated heavy lifting required to store, prepare, manage, and audit access to data. And analysts connect to the FinSpace web interface to switch for data using familiar business terms like S&P 500, CAC 40, and private equity funds in euros, please. Analysts can prepare their chosen data sets using a built-in library of more than 100 specialized functions for time series data and integrate with Jupyter Notebooks to experiment with data and parallelize these financial data transformations at scale of the cloud in minutes. The pricing is based on the number of analysts with access to the service, the volume of data ingested, and, of course, the compute hours used to apply your transformations. Get some Monte Carlo simulations going, maybe? You can just see how the verticalization is going to really help with lots of different things, not just within the industry themselves. But once you've got these predefined data transformers, it makes it much easier to say, hey, Alexa, what's the insert question here for my business data? And have, have the, the system go off and query those things and return you, uh, you know, a, a, a natural language answer to some of these things. Whereas until this work's been done, uh, that would be much more difficult. But step one is still bring perfect data into the system. And so I think there's an awful lot of work that's going to have to happen before you can actually take the, the random junk of data which you currently have and put it into a system like this and turn it into something usable. It's, it's like step one, first invent the universe kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, that's why you use the Mechanical Turk to clean up all your data. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Even that, I think, is, is going to be outpaced by some of these flows of data and the amount, the sheer just amount and structure of them is, is baffling. Like yeah. it's craziness. Uh, we we didn't have it in the show later, but uh, you know there was Google and Vodafone a partnership to you know process fifty terabytes of data per day in this special thing they're doing in Europe, and we didn't think it was worthy of the show. But you know fifty terabytes a day is you know probably actually pretty small when you think about the amount of logs that these systems are generating and all that kind of stuff. I mean, like some companies are probably up at petabytes a day, oh scale, my God. petabytes per hour scale. Like it's crazy <laughs> what they're dealing yeah. with in data size. Well, Amazon Proton last week uh, had a bunch of announcements, and because it's a container story, and I don't know anything about containers, I held it because Ryan was busy, <laughs> busy with the kitten uh, on his lap. Which, did you so really cute. get a kitten? I mean, that would be so awesome. <laughs> no, story, you didn't really get. A it would, I know it'd be awesome. It was a real story. That was story. just my lame excuse. <laughs> I know, just your excuse at the time. Uh, but you know, I had to look up Proton to see what even what it was because I kind of forgot. Uh, but uh, you know, it was announced last year. 
Basically, per the website, uh, Amazon Proton is an automated management for container and serverless deployments, the first fully managed application deployment service for containers and serverless apps. Uh, Platform engineering teams can use AWS Proton to connect and coordinate all the different tools needed for infrastructure provisioning, code deployment, monitoring, and updates. Uh, And updating, this is basically an issue when you're trying to update hundreds or thousands of microservices at scale. With constantly changing infrastructure resources and continuous integration, continuous delivery, configs is nearly an impossible task uh, for even the most capable platform teams. Although I see Ryan saying, hold my beer, I got this. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Uh, but with pla- uh, then also with your platform teams can create a stack that defines everything needed to provision, deploy, and monitor a service, including compute, and developers log into the AWS Proton console to use published AWS Proton stacks to automate infrastructure provisioning and quickly deploy their app code. So basically, if I were to summarize all of that marketing speak I just read to you, um, I basically think it's platform as a service for cloud for your developers just basically be able to deploy containers and Lambda functions, but not having to use the Amazon console to do so. But I think that's that's basically what it is. And yep. Ryan, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, it, in a lot of ways, it, it, it's exactly that. It's just an abstraction of all the different pieces and just an easy button. If you want to abstract everything away, you plug it into Proton and the whole build, build lifecycle to deployment is managed for you. There's some really nice features, though. I mean, it, it's, it's a bit service catalog-y in that you can build many different templates and it's a bit self-service because now developers can log in and pick the template that makes sense to them. So it can be the template that comes with RDS pre-configured to your standards or it could be some other kind of resource. Mm-hmm. But uh, Service Catalog requires that you have permission to deploy those resources, whereas Proton owns the stack. I mean, they can pick the stack to deploy, but Proton owns the stack, so they don't need IAM permissions to mess around with the stuff that you deploy. I think that's, that's it. That's great because now it stops them from breaking. Your um, your platform, which which is kind of nice. I think the the other thing though is that that you can embed. Um, you know, if we we build templates to deploy common resources, whether it's ECS clusters or or, or anything else, I'm going to pick on that one though because that's dear to our hearts. You know, if you hand off a CloudFormation template to a bunch of different engineering teams and say, this is how you deploy our, our stack. By the way, you're going to have to do the engineering work to upgrade this every six months or every three months. Or whenever there's a defect, that's that's burdensome to them. At least they see it that way. Whereas with Proton, the platform team can retain control over management of, of parts of the stack, and so the development team don't need to be involved in doing the upgrade of your your ECS CloudFormation or the RDS upgrade that might need to happen. That, those things can happen out of band to be managed by separate teams, and I think that's it's a really nice enabler. But it is a bit. Um, it, it's a bit of a cheat to say that it's much more of its own service than it really is. Mm. I mean, if you think about like the the promise of LightSail or Elastic Beanstalk, you know, it, this is I do feel like this is a an evolution of that, right? Because with both those services, you still are you know managing the IAM permissions in order to to deploy those resources and manage those resources. Uh, updates are still very much in your your domain, and this is really a straight just abstraction. Like, take this code and make it into a to a deployable artifact, and then manage that artifact in its entirety, and the underlying infrastructure, obviously. So it's, I and again, like this isn't a tool for you, you know. Like this is this isn't a tool for someone who who uh, who runs on platform teams and who can run platform teams. This is this is the tool for the people who have no idea what a platform team does and just wants the magic to happen without knowing anything about how that sausage is made. Is it kind of the answer to to what people find appealing about Kubernetes, though, which is you have some team that manages a big Kubernetes cluster and then development just focuses on deployments into the cluster? I would say that it's more akin to, like, the cloud run or or that. You know, it's a little bit more up a level than that. You know, so it's more that, you know, managing Kubernetes is Kubernetes, the big power between Kubernetes is taking infrastructures that can scale dramatically and just sort of unifying the language of how we deploy and manage applications. It doesn't do the full abstraction. You still got to be very, uh, you know, in touch with the permissions, with the, the resources that it takes to run an application is, is a big thing there. Um, but what Kubernetes does, because it's taken over, is that everyone speaks it at this. Most people do. And and that's allowing that to take take as much hold. Whereas these services, this they don't need you to know Kubernetes or or speak a specific language. They're just going to do it for you. Yeah, so the yeah. pass play, right? It's the abstract away all the Kubernetes, open shift play. 
make it just so I just go worry about deploying my code and I move mm -hmm. on with the world and, and someone else takes care of the infrastructure for me, which is what people really want and why Fargate has some advantages and different things. But it's just one more version of that. Uh, well, the reason why we're talking about Proton is there's two new features this week. The first one is that you can now uh, have customer-managed environments. So this is great if you have an existing infrastructure team that you know provisions and manages your Kubernetes or ECS container environment that you would then want to put into Proton. So you want to basically say, hey, Proton, I want to connect you to connect to an existing cluster that I've already got running, or I want you to connect to a new one that I'm provisioning right now. Uh, but I'm going to manage the underlying infrastructure, let, not let Proton do it. Um, you can now do that. And so you'll basically provide the VPC ID or the ECS task role ARN as part of the configuration, uh, and that registers the customer managed environment. And then the other part is that they now allow developers to add or remove um, instances uh, via their for an existing service. So before, they had to tear down that service um, and redeploy, which is very similar to what you see in OpsWorks and some of the other things. Um, which is kind of a weird paradigm, or even Beanstalk, you have to tear things down and spin them up. Uh, but now you can just add and remove nodes um, as needed or instances as needed with the new feature for Proton. So those are the two Proton features why we talked about it. But uh, yeah, I think there's lots of interesting use cases here that make it unlocked. I'm looking forward to some good reInvent sessions, actually, because I'd like to see some real-world uses. That's just, you know, this running into the same issue of with this extra layer of abstraction comes... Uh, taking a bunch of stuff off your plate until you need to do something that the abstraction layer can't. And then you either got to migrate off of it or they have to add features to let you customize it, in which case now it's not fully managed. And those two features, using customer managed environments, adding and removing instances, that's not Git push uh, Heroku, right? Now we're talking about managing infrastructure again. But it's it's more than just a platform play, though. It's it's not it's not Amazon providing the platform. It's Amazon giving you a way to to build your own platforms and deliver those to your engineering teams. If if you want to if you want to add code commits to the pipeline that gets deployed when the engineers click the button to say give me give me the stack, you can do so. You can add the mm -hmm. features. You can you can add whatever you like. You can deploy any resources. You can link to CloudFormation templates. You can you can do the customization, which is why I think it's a lot more powerful than any other platform as a service because it is extensible. Yeah. Well, I mean, everyone wants their cake and eat it too. And it's just, it's funny. It's just the, the dichotomy of having the, like, I need this completely managed service. And then, you know, the security or the infrastructure people are like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we need, we need our special agent. We need our metrics. We need our thing. And, and then you end up with a customized environment and then you're back to sort of, you know, what's the difference between a Proton environment where the infrastructure team is managing that and a Kubernetes cluster where the infrastructure team is managing that. Right. Six and one. Well, the next feature up for this week is uh, CloudFront Functions. Uh, and if you heard me say functions, you might be saying, wait, you mean Lambda to Edge? They renamed it? No, they did not. <laughs> that still exists. Uh, and so basically what they're saying here is Amazon CloudFront, of course, can help you securely deliver your data, your videos, your apps, and your APIs to your customers globally with a low latency and high transfer speed. Uh, and to offer the, po the lowest possible latency and many modern applications execute some form of logic at the edge. And there are really two main use cases for this. The first are complex compute-heavy operations that are executed when objects are not in the cache. Uh, and so they launched Lambda at the Edge for that in 2017 to offer you a fully programmable serverless edge computing environment for implementing a wide variety of complex customizations. And Lambda at Edge is executed in a regional edge of cache, usually at the AWS region closest to the CloudFront Edge location reached by the client. And the second category of these use cases are simple HTTP request response manipulations that can be executed by very short-lived functions. And for these use cases, you need a flexible programming experience with the performance scale and cost effectiveness that enables you to execute them on every request. So while they admit that Lambda at the Edge was really great for the first scenario, uh, they are giving you CloudFront Functions, a new serverless scripting platform that allows you to run lightweight JavaScript code at 218-plus CloudFront Edge locations at one-sixth the price of Lambda at the Edge, which that was one thing we talked about Lambda at the Edge before is it's, it's a bit pricey. Uh, some of the lightweight processing you might want to do is uh, cache key manipulations, URL rewrites and redirects, HTTP header manipulations, or access authorizations. Uh, this, does, like I said, it does only support JavaScript. Uh, it gives you 218 CloudFront Edge locations versus 13 CloudFront regional edge caches, which is where Lambda at the Edge runs. And then it only handles viewer requests and viewer response triggers, uh, less than one millisecond of execution time, and a maximum memory footprint of two megabits uh, for this control package. Uh, so this is a great solution that reduces your cost quite a bit if you're just doing those very simple things. And I've actually seen Ben Kehoe uh, complain about this quite a bit, <laughs> that this wasn't, you know, that Lambda at the Edge was just too heavy for what they were trying to do. Uh, and a lot of their stuff with their IoT devices and everything. So this is one of those features almost built perfectly for Ben. It feels like you're climbing the mountain and someday you get to the top where you're just running your app on the CDN. That'd be a pretty cool platform as a service. <laughs> 
I will put my hand up and, and admit that I thought Lambda at the edge ran at the edge. And I think a lot of people did too. I see a lot of people on Twitter making comments about, well, wait, where does Lambda at the edge run then if this is now running in the edge locations? I think maybe there's a little bit of marketing, uh, uh, I'm not going to say cover up, but say fog around where, where the Lambda at the edge was actually running. Yeah, I, I, it, they did sort of imply that it was running in CloudFront. And so because it was CloudFront, it was the edge. There's really only the regional edge caches that it was running in, which is there's only 13 of those. So that's also why people didn't see quite as much performance benefit from Lambda at the edge as maybe they thought they would, um, particularly in use cases where you had a CloudFront edge location maybe down the street from you, uh, you know, in Italy or in the different places. And that, it's, it's quite interesting bit of marketing spin. And, you know, now you kind of look at what uh, Google announced not too long ago with their cloud, you know, their CD and stuff. And it's actually very close to this CloudFront functions capability as well. Uh, and so this is a bit of a me too or us too announcement uh, in this case for Amazon to kind of chip a little bit with what Google did, which was giving much more fle- flexible. And we actually missed that when we talked about it um, as well, just because we, again, out of context, didn't have that piece of data. Mm. I've had a lot of people commenting about how, you know, um, Cloudflare have their Cloudflare workers and those are at the edge and they should just have called it uh, you know, Lambda workers or something else. I mean, I, I kind of get the sentiment, but but Cloud, Cloudflare's business is CDN. They're, they're, all their locations are edge locations because that's the nature of their business, whereas Amazon's locations aren't considered what, what you call edge locations. That's what they have CloudFront for. So, I mean, as much as they, they could have called it uh, Lambda workers, I could also go back 20 years and say, well, you know, Apache mod CGI referred to CGI workers. So it's, it's just, I don't know. Well, it does ask the question, what is, where does Wavelength run? So is that really in the Verizon edge running 5G or is that somewhere else? You know, you know now I have questions. I've got to follow up with my account rep on. Which edge are we talking about? I mean, like if, if, if the whole thing is drawn as a graph, which edge are we talking about? Every, every link between two, 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 two yeah. dots is, is an edge. Where's so. the edge on this sphere? It's in the cage uh, that's closest to the wall in the data center. <laughs> <laughs> right on the edge. Yeah. There's a flat earther out there somewhere going like, I knew there was an edge somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I actually started to think about this when I was thinking about the edge functions and then the regional cache functions and then things that run in data center functions. And then, of course, you've got lightweight um, applications on mobile devices and things. I, I, I always wonder if there's a, a hole in the market for software engineering to, to be able to, you know, you, you write the application and have the interpreter or the compiler figure out which bits need to run where and have that that link the pieces together and, and build APIs between different parts of your application so that you, you, you need to know even less about the way it's going to be deployed and have something smarter than you figure out what should run in which, which places. Wow. Prediction. <laughs> Prediction, yeah. <laughs> I wrote it down. I hope I roll yeah. higher than yeah. next. <laughs> next time, announcing the CloudFront Studio SDK. Exactly. <laughs> 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 Not yet, but uh, yeah, maybe in the future it'll be something you'll see. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Well, uh, happy 10th birthday to AWS Identity and Access Management, uh, which is now 10 years old. Still a huge pain in the ass for setting up and configuring. <laughs> so I'm hoping it's teen years. Uh, maybe it gets a little bit more, a little bit more easy to, to talk to and, and maybe use because uh, you know they can communicate now as teens versus children. So children hopefully... get much easier to deal with when they're teenagers. That's just that's just known fact. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It depends if they're male or female teenagers. I think as <laughs> part of that. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I I'm been happy to see identity and access management kind of do what it's done. But uh, you know, it can still be much better and much easier to deal with. And so you know, we continue to see enhancements and you know, machine learning coming to that world. And hopefully, it continues to get better. Please, please get better. <laughs> 
Well, if you are in the uh, media and entertainment space, uh, Amazon has a new set of products for you, which is the Amazon Nimble Studio, uh, which lets you build a creative studio in the cloud. Uh, and we talked about some of the things that are actually part of this uh, in past shows. And so basically they're taking a combination of all the things they've been working on for the last uh, you know, year or so and kind of bundling them all together. Uh, and so that's, that includes access to on-demand virtual workstations, elastic file storage, and the render farm capacity and render farm management. Uh, it also builds, it has provides a built-in automation tools for IP security, uh, permissions, and collaboration between peers. Uh, and Nimble Studio is part of a lo- broader portfolio of purpose-built AWS capabilities for media and entertainment use cases, including AWS services, AWS and partner solutions, and over 400 AWS partners, all tied to the AWS Media and Entertainment Initiative, which helps media and entertainment companies easily identify industry-specific AWS capabilities across five business areas, including content production, direct-to-consumer, and over-the-top streaming uh, broadcast and media supply chain and archive and data science and analytics in the entertainment and media space. So again, more verticalization. It only comes in one version now, which is BYOT, bring your own talent. Yeah. <laughs> Here's all the tools. <laughs> Just bring the staff to be able to use them. Yeah, that's that's where I get stuck. I get like, ooh, this can do that, this can do that. And then, I, oh, crap. I don't know how. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe for our next stream, we'll, you know, we'll utilize this for you know maybe a Q&A or some other other nifty see I'm already out of ideas this isn't working my <laughs> <laughs> technically the podcast is a, is a form of media so I guess this is our vertical so we should, uh-huh. we should this is it's true we should, yeah really we need to get some render farms going you know, to to analyze the voice patterns and you know, if Jonathan ever gets us replaced by robots and Amazon Lex you know we need this technology so mm-hmm. All right. Well, moving on to our friends at GCP. Uh, the first story is not one I would normally would have carry, covered, but I, as I pondered it, I started asking questions. And I thought they were good questions I should bring to you guys and see what you guys think. So uh, basically, this, this blog post they posted is, retire your tech debt. Move vSphere 5 plus uh, 5.5 uh, to Google Cloud VMware Engine, uh, making you know all your tech debt problems go away as they'll basically handle all of your upgrades to VMware 7 uh, as part of this migration. And, you know... <sighs> If if the issue is just that you know I didn't upgrade VMware from five five to six or seven, but I was licensed, you know what makes them think that I'm going to do a migration to move the VMs from on prem to the cloud for them to do it? And I assume that there's more of a blocker to why I'm not moving off VMware five five to seven than just the fact that my IT team is lazy. I assume that you know my vendor is saying I only support VMware five five or they've gone out of business. Like there's all those enterprise things that come up today and this kind of thing. So. It's very likely that it'll work just fine on version 7 or version 6, but you don't know, and you take the risk of this super critical business service uh, to do that. And so I don't really know, you know, like, Google's whole thing is, like, you know, tech debt's a thing of the past because we take care of all this for you in this article. And it's, it's a good article, and again, it requires you to now lift and shift your VMs to them for this to happen. And, you know, and then again, it, it might break your app, and then what do you do? So... If I can't, if I don't have the time to upgrade my VMware infrastructure on prem, how do I have the time to migrate it? I just don't. I don't see how it works together. This is another one of a string of announcements by by Google, and just taking that responsibility away from engineering teams, right? So we talked about the the insurance play where they're they're guaranteeing risk. They're they're now they're taking on more and more operational things, and I think what they're doing basically is 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 reacting to the the market, which is saying we can't move fast enough because of all this tech debt and we have to pay it down. We have to take and it's an immense risk for us to move. And they're like, fine, we'll take it. We'll take the risk. Because that's what this does, you know, is allowing, you know, if that that migration does break your app, you have a throat to choke. And that's your Google support team. Yeah. And I think that's all. <laughs> I think that's what this service is. Yeah, just target the people who aren't moving because they're afraid because... They have tech debt and they're on VMware and maybe that's a lower hanging fruit than companies who are fired up about transformation and evaluating all three of the platforms on their own merits. Maybe this is just a, you know, sort of a sales strategy, uh, you know, and it's a cost of sales to take care of it. Yeah. I mean, I do see the play where I bought VMware 5.5, I had support on it, but then I let my support lapse and now I can't upgrade to the new versions of VMware and so I'm kind of stuck here. Um, I do see this as a good play for that that scenario where I don't want to have to rebuy all my VMware licenses because I let support expire. Um, so I, that's the one scenario where I really see this being valuable. Um, 
Yeah, but again, it's it's a bit of a weird, but you know, yeah, Google's definitely on this play of like we're just gonna take away all the complexity and we're gonna make it our SRE team's problem. Yeah. <laughs> which is yep. which is a bummer for their SRE team. Sorry. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, it just means they're gonna have more SRE jobs available. So good for the SRE market. I don't think their liability is ever going to exceed what you spend on the service, though. So, I mean, if, if you are still taking on an enormous amount of risk by moving your workloads to the, to the cloud in this in this fashion. And we still have, you know, very large outages that have happened in Google. <laughs> that, you know, I bet their VMware solution is not multi-cloud enabled because that would require Anthos. <laughs> so, you know, there's a bunch of things where, you know, you're still taking a risk of being in a single cloud provider and, and those type of limitations that you always had. So it doesn't get you to be cloud native just because you're running on the cloud. Well, if you are a Databricks customer, uh, which you know I know there's many of you out there, unfortunately, uh, but they are now available to you on Google Cloud as they are partnering with Databricks and Google to offer Databricks on the Google Cloud, which is very similar to the Azure partnership. Uh, so you can now create a new Databricks Lighthouse or migrate an existing Databricks Lighthouse to Google Cloud to combine the benefits of open data cloud platform with greater analytics, flexibility, unified infrastructure management, and optimized performance. And then your Google sales rep will tell you why you don't need Databricks, because they have table <laughs> and all the other tools. But at least once you come and pay them for now and say, yeah, well, you, if you want to keep throwing all that money away to Databricks, I can save you a bunch of money, uh, which is a great story long term, because I would say the Google tools are probably better. Yeah, I don't. I have experience with using the Databricks tools. I don't have direct experience with, with doing machine learning or model building on Google native tools. But Migrate, it, then transform. Right? Mm-hmm. This is the migrate piece. Yep. Mm-hmm. Makes it super easy. I think it's a good play. First one's free. Mm. <laughs> Always yep. free. Uh, well, a couple episodes ago, we talked about Cloud Spanner getting the ability to query its uh, backfill status. So as you change your database schema online, you might want to know what the status of that was. And it was kind of an interesting just, you know, single announcement. But uh, the other shoe was dropped on that one, which is that the uh, Cloud Spanner database now integrates with the LiquidBase extension for your CI/CD process. Uh, and this is their GA release of that. So we did mention it, I think, as when it betaed. Uh, but this is basically an open source database library to manage automate schema changes in Cloud Spanner. LiquidBase is an open source library that works with a wide variety of databases, can be used for tracking, managing, and automating database schema changes, and providing the ability to integrate databases into your CI/CD process. LiquidBase helps you more fully adopt DevOps practices, and it supports SQL as well as declarative formats such as XML, YAML, and JSON. And when you use LiquidBase, every database schema change you make is called a change set. And all those change sets are tracked in change logs, which you'd want to know if they actually completed or not, because that's sort of important. So there you go. That's the, uh, the full piece there. But yeah, this, uh, I'm supporting Cloud Spanner natively. And LiquidBase means you now get one more database covered in your CSD process if you're already using this, which is great. So the schema change is a change set. Does that mean you can roll back? Because that's a construct usually inherent mm-hmm. in a change set. Which is yes. usually very difficult to do when you've changed the scheme of the database. So, I, I mean, will yeah. you do it and break the data? That I can't tell you. <laughs> I mean, you yes. can roll back. <laughs> I mean, uh, usually you're, you're not, it's non-destructive, right? So you're, you're, if you're changing a column, you're creating a new column and transforming and, and writing twice until mm-hmm. you've decided that you never have to roll back. Yep. So in theory, you should be able to roll back. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the database CI/CD automation. There are some sharp edges. Like I've seen some horror yeah. stories in the world. Take that is the hardest up. part of yeah. C- for us of CD, though, for sure, is yeah. database changes, schema changes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, one of my favorite uh, annual reports is the Dora report, and if you haven't read the State of DevOps, which is the annual survey they do, uh, I do highly recommend you go check out the 2020 version of it. I think we mentioned it here on the show, and they released it last summer. Uh, but it's now time for the survey again. So if you are any type of person in your organization, from one org, one org person to a 575,000 company like Amazon, uh, you can go take the survey. And the Dora report will then take your answers and kind of aggregate them into their whole model and basically give you an idea of you know the maturity level of the, of the industry in whole and how you kind of stack up against the space, which is really great. Um, and these are great things for executives like me who want to go get funding for DevOps initiatives and things like that. I can use these numbers all the time, so I love them. But it's also just great to see you know all the companies doing amazing things with DevOps. Uh, and you know if you're you know they even want you to be doing this survey if you don't know what DevOps is. So I just said DevOps, and you're like, what's DevOps? Uh, they still want you to take the survey because you're on the not so mature side of the wagon, and they want your input as well to this process. 
Uh, and so definitely take a look at that. Uh, there are some key things they're looking at this year in the survey. Uh, of course, metrics and measurements, which has always kind of been there. Uh, SRE and DevOps, which is uh, other, another staple of the thing. Uh, how to best integrate security and compliance. I think uh, they started to cover this last year, but they're covering it a little bit more this year. Uh, the impact of cloud, monitoring and observability, open source and documentation on performance. Uh, distributed teams, of course, COVID-related, and then the state of multi-cloud computing and where that's at in your organization. So they want to know. And so, you know, this is an anonymous survey. You don't tell them who your company is, I don't believe. Uh, or if you do, you can just leave that field out. But, uh, you know, this is great. You have until midnight of June 11th uh, to get your survey done and do check that out. Uh, I'd love to get your data into the aggregate report. Yeah, every time I start feeling that, you know, I'm stagnating or, or behind and because I, you know, I spend a lot of time doing the podcast researching a whole lot of stuff and I don't get to implement my day job as fast as I'd like, um, you know, taking a peek at the 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 state of DevOps industry-wide is 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 a good thing because it, it lets you know that no matter where you are on that, there's there's either a lot of future or a, a lot of ground you've covered and it actually makes me feel better. It's, it's a little bit of therapy in my life. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, yeah, I'm not deploying, you know, I'm not doing continuous CI to CD deployment before I go to the bathroom, you know, my first yeah. day of employment, you know, level. So, like, oh, we deploy once a year. You know, yeah. those are two extremes. And, like, you're, yeah. you're probably somewhere in the middle of that extreme. Uh, and so it's nice to know that you're not alone in those islands sometimes. Like, we're the only company that doesn't understand how to do DevOps properly. No, no, you're not. There's a lot of companies that don't get it. <laughs> so not everyone can be a, a fancy Web 2.0 startup that understands all these things um, immediately and gets it. And it takes time. Well, the evolution of Kubernetes networking is continuing with the announcement of the Gateway API, which is an evolution of the Kubernetes networking API. Uh, led by Google and a variety of contributors, the Gateway API unifies networking under a core set of standard resources, similar to how Ingress controllers worked uh, and created an ecosystem of implementations. The Gateway API delivers unification, but at an even broader scope and based on lessons from both the Ingress and the service mesh world. Uh, Google has their own implementation, of course, and this is the announcement of their in-preview GKE Gateway Controller. And over the year of making the GKE Gateway Controller, they've managed that, which manages internal and external HTTPS load balancing of GKE cluster or a fleet of GKE clusters. Uh, they have provided a pretty good service. The Gateway API provides multi-tenant sharing of load balancer infrastructure with centralized admin policy and control. And thanks to the API's expressiveness, it supports advanced functionality such as traffic shifting, traffic mirroring, header manipulation, and more. So do check this out if you're into Google uh, Kubernetes and maybe you're tired of service mesh. Maybe this will solve some of your use cases. Well, I think this is also, you know, very heavy GitOps, right? You want one place to control your deployment. You, you want to be able to check in that code, have all the review cycle be there, and then just freaking work. And this enables that, which is nice. It's also a step towards vendor lock-in there, right? I mean, you can run Kubernetes anywhere, but if you start using these features, then maybe not. Well, I mean, this is, this is a specific one to GKE. Uh, there are a ton of other people who have implemented this as well. If you go into the uh, article, you, know, you can see Istio's got implementation using the, the new API. Uh, you know, all the all the service meshes that you've been using and knowing and, and that they were probably contributing to this or have something in the way. Amazon's got something they've got in preview as well for this space. So everyone's going to have something. It's just a matter of when. This is just happened to be Google's flavor for their, if you're already in the GKE world, you're going to want this too. And so here you go. That's that's fair. That's fair. But they're all a little different. It's a module. Yeah, they're all a little it's different, just... just like service mesh is all a little different. Yeah. yeah. All I can think of is Microsoft's strategy in the 90s, embrace and extend. Right, <laughs> extend, embrace the open standards and extend them with proprietary features to lock people in. A lot of, I mean, but a lot of success stories are built on that same, whether intentionally yeah. or not. You know, if you think about Terraform, you know, it's large success in the industries because you can extend the crap out of that with your own provider. So Lock-in is valuable many times, much more valuable than the pain of being locked in. As a developer, I I'm super lazy. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> do everything for me, and I'm happy to be locked in forever. Just do everything for me at a fair price. I'm in. I, mean, I think there's there's so many examples of companies that have failed at closed um, that we kind of feel like the default has always got to be open and you know open APIs and integrations and all stuff like that. But you know, Apple is of course the the quintessential example of the opposite side. It's a closed garden. It's a it's a walled garden. They did a beautiful job on it, and people who are in that garden, they love that garden. People outside of the garden are like, you're just plebs <laughs> in the cult of Apple doing what you're doing. Uh, but, you know, again, if it's done right, it can be really valuable. And you have a ton of value, which you see in the Apple ecosystem. There's just so many companies that try to do the Apple thing and failed 1,000%. So it's so it's much so harder hard. to do. It's so hard to achieve yeah. at that level. Yeah. Agreed. 
So open is easier and it's successful, and so that's what people do. That's something that Google's done a no, number of times, though, not not just in the, in their cloud products, but in some of their in some of their consumer facing products. They 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 take a problem, they make it easy, and then they monetize it. They make it free, and then they start charging for it. Yeah, and Google has been able to do that on many different fronts. Like if yeah. you think about just the G Suite to Android to all the the Google Google Cloud stuff, they've been able to do that on all of those fronts, which is really impressive. Well, KubeCon EU kicks off next week. We've talked about it a few times on the what's coming up. Uh, so if you're, I assume if you heard that and you're in Europe, you already signed up for it. But uh, Google, uh, as a tradition, they like to tell you the six reasons uh, why GKE is the best Kubernetes service. And so last year they did six. They did six more uh, this week in, in front of KubeCon. And so I thought I'd share the six with you and tell you how they do that. So the first one is, uh, number one, run production-ready Kubernetes like a pro. Uh, and that's what the new GKE autopilot capabilities, which now allows you to just manage it on autopilot, uh, aptly named. Well done, Google. Uh, number two, create and scale CI/CD pipelines for GKE, and this is with their new cloud build capabilities, their new pre-built images, their build packs, which are really cool. We talked about those a couple times, and their CD pipelines, uh, pre-built CD pipelines for deployments, uh, all making it much easier to do Kubernetes. Number three, manage security and compliance on Kubernetes with ease with their container security white paper, their data plane v2, and the network policy logging, and the GKE gateway controller we just talked about. They suck that in there, too. Uh, number four, get an integrated view of alerts, SLOs, metrics, and logs. This is through their cloud logging, cloud monitoring, alerts dashboard, and their SLO monitoring dashboard uh, capabilities. Number five, manage and run Kubernetes anywhere with Anthos. Of course, Anthos and the 10000 per month less money in your pocket. So <laughs> I don't know about that one. And number yeah. six, ML at scale and made simple with the new multi-instance NVIDIA GPUs on GKE we talked about last week with their A100 uh, GPU setup. Uh, so we'll see what they announce next week at KubeCon. I suspect there will be a bunch of announcements from all three cloud providers in the Kubernetes space. And so do stay tuned. Next week, we'll probably have an action-packed Kubernetes show for all of you. Mark that on my calendar. I have homework for next week. <laughs> <laughs> How do you guys feel? I mean, I, I'd say the last time they did the six uh, reasons, it was not as compelling. I, I, I would say the Google, Google Kubernetes story is getting more and more compelling as they've, you know, cloud autopilot is a big deal. The cloud build thing, the build packs. Like I was going through this list, I was like, yeah, you know, you're right. You guys are, you guys are starting to really kick a lot of ass in this space, yeah. I think. Yeah, the first three, you got me. You're absolutely true. Absolutely right. Yeah, you know, metrics and logging, like, I think that, you know, a lot of people have that story. I don't think, I think that's actually one of their big benefits of Kubernetes is that that's been so instilled into the foundation of the thing. Um, but yeah, no, the reason five is if you hate money, like, that, that's not a good reason <laughs> to compel me to go to I mean, if you really hate money, number six is your can of worms, yeah, exactly. you know, with multi-instance <laughs> GPUs. Um, but, you know, I, I would say the number three is actually a little was a little soft for me. Container security white paper, great. You know, I still have to do work. You gave me a, you gave me a bunch of best practices I have to go meet. Yeah. The data plane v two is pretty good, and the network policy logging is fine. The gateway controller is brand new, so maybe that's going to pan out. I don't know yet. It's still too early, but um, that one I thought was a little little soft. But you know, one and two, super solid. I think the SLO integration with I think their observability platform in general is actually pretty good on the Google world, yeah. and, and you know, so I give them props for that. It's not a it's not a reason to choose Kubernetes though, but it, you know, it's a reason to choose Google. Google, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, I agree with you on Anthos. So. Uh, well, apparently Google had an event in Israel called Decode with Google 15 R A E L, which is Israel, but with the number 15 for the IS, which I don't I don't understand the context. Uh, event last you got week, a cool they, kid that's hanging guess, out on elite forums. You don't understand the lingo. Yeah, I guess not. Uh, but apparently, uh, I mean, it's because it's 15 years of Google innovation in Israel. Maybe that's the, where the 15 comes into. I don't know. That's a stretch marketing at Google. Let's just talk about that later. Uh, but anyways, their long-standing support of the country's vibrant startup ecosystem. And by vibrant support, I mean acquisitions are crazy out of Israel startups, including Illuma, Last File, and Velostrata, as well as hiring people like Yuri Frank uh, to lead their server chip design team in Israel. Uh, continue to support startups and their businesses in Israel. They are now announcing they're going to build a Google Cloud region in Israel, which is great. Although they did not mention when they'll build it or when it will open. So boo on that part of it. And they'll never uh, but, tell you where. Yeah, they'll never tell you well, especially <laughs> considering they bought they, you know, they won the Nimbus contract, which is a huge uh, Israel defense contract, as well as several other Israeli uh, government entities have all signed up with Google Cloud. It makes sense they're gonna build a cloud there. Uh, just it'd be nice if they gave a date. Of when to expect yeah. it. Right. Now there's there's someone with very colorful bold glasses, very proud of themselves in marketing for that 15 REM thing. They're super <laughs> stoked. Super stoked. The lead coder was like, yes, I got it. <laughs> Let's do this. 
All right. Well, move, moving on to Azure and our Microsoft friends. Uh, apparently, real-time app scenarios are a thing, and Azure is here to help you with that because they say, you know, people might want chat for streaming videos or interactive whiteboards for remote education and uh, IoT dashboards, you know, all using WebSockets. And so businesses, of course, are keen to build such applications for their enhanced user experiences and real-time interactions with their end users. And so Azure is announcing the preview of Azure Web PubSub service for building real-time web applications with WebSockets. Welcome to the club. We appreciate you joining. A little late <laughs> yeah. on this one. Uh, Azure Web PubSub enables you to use WebSockets in the publish subscribe pattern to easily build real-time web apps like live monitoring dashboards, cross-platform live chat, real-time location on maps, and many more. Uh, and building fully managed globally available takes too much time for developers, so Web PubSub solves the offering uh, solves this offering a built-in support for large-scale client connections and HA architecture that delivers developers can leverage to focus on the app logic that delivers the real-time support uh, supporting C# Sharp, Python and Java through the WebSockets API and leveraging the WebHub sub with Azure functions gives you the power of real-time serverless applications and you can check it all out now with either the free tier or the standard tier which leaves room for a super ultra tier sometime in the future <laughs> <laughs> So in 2020, everyone rushes to Teams, takes out the Google Cloud. In 2021, everyone wants real-time app scenarios for that for the for Microsoft Teams, so they better build it quick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> how does how does Slack do it? WebSockets. Oh, what are WebSockets? Oh, we don't we don't really support those on our cloud. Oh, we just built yeah. that. Ah. Curses. <laughs> well, that is it uh, for Azure. Is still quiet. I'm I'm hoping AKS just blows it out of the water next week at KubeCon. Like, come on, AKS, you can do it. They might. Mm-hmm. I would not you never put money know. on that. I would not bet on that horse. I mean, like at some point, <laughs> at some point, Microsoft's going to have to just dump a ton of stories on us. Because it's been like weeks of just like bottom of the barrel scraping. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it's all secret hopefully. government contract work. We don't even we'll they, they never see it. it. They, you know, for the last 12 months, they've been working on that Jedi work. Like That's all they're doing over there is getting ready for Jedi, which might never come. So, All right. Well, Peter, you want to take us to the lightning round? Sure thing. It's just a recap. We're at Justin with seven for the year. Jonathan behind him by one with six. And Ryan not too far behind with three. Definitely not running away with it this year. I'm, I'm so No one's running away with it. So let's start it off with Amazon Redshift announcing support for hierarchical data queries with recursive CTE. I mean, the only hierarchy that matters is the CEOs on the top. We work it out from there. And then you recursively query that? I don't get it. So when the CEO calls you, you know, the, the IC at the bottom of the pyramid and says to do something, you know that's the recursion that happened. Uh, You're now, that's, that's the recursion. I thought CTE, the only way I know that is brain damage from concussions. Yeah, the, <laughs> the football injury, right? Yeah. <laughs> so when the executive calls me, it's because I have a concussion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really? He, he didn't actually call you. It was just the hallucination that he called you from the CTE. <laughs> Amazon Connect customer profiles launches identity resolution in preview to detect and merge duplicate customer profiles. What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Can I install this on mean? my phone so it clears what up you all mean, of John my contacts? John Smith, number 12. That's really what I want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're all one now. What do you mean I'm on the no-fly list? No, not that John Smith. It's a different John Smith. It's a different John Smith, I swear. It's not (laughs) me. The Amazon Kinesis Data Analytics for Apache Flink introduces custom maintenance windows in preview. So I'm starting to think that Apache is just like making up names now, just randomly. Like these aren't real products anymore for their... (laughs) Flink you, Ryan. Flink you. Yeah. Nice. Amazon ECS on AWS Fargate now allows you to configure the size of ephemeral storage for your tasks. (laughs) <laughs> now allowing you to lose even more data when your task dies. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Amazon, for letting me ignore best practice and keep my container applications stateless. I can just dump as much data as I want. Sweet. I can't wish they just built me for what I use, actually. That's the kind of the model, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. You're not wrong, unfortunately. <laughs> Announcing support for linear interpolation. In AWS IoT SiteWise. I really need that uh, recursive CTE to explain that, what you just said to me, because I don't get that. Yeah. What? what? <laughs> IoT, the thing that has a thousand devices, has linear interpolation. I don't know. What? Easily clean up unused resources in Amazon Forecast using hierarchical deletion. If it can forecast that they're unused, why isn't it just doing this for me? 
Yes. You know, somewhere hierarchical or hierarchy was, was word of the day in somebody's somebody's calendar on their desk. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like every press release. How can we fit? How can we fit hierarchical into this press release? <laughs> it was it was this month of uh, narratives. Andy Jassy was like, "There's a hierarchical story here, right?" You know, we should just out. <laughs> same guy, same guy, yeah. same guy. Mm-hmm. It was like CloudWatch monitoring framework for Apache is now generally available. Doubling back on what Ryan said earlier about Apache Flink and them just making up words. Now I don't know, like, are they talking about Apache Apache or are they talking about one of the other bajillion Apache products in this announcement? I can't tell. Mm. I like I'm struggling on this. I, I assume it's the web server part. Maybe. I don't know. Well, if one of us were to click the link, we would know. <laughs> no, it's more fun to make fun of the headline. Why would I click yeah, the link what? and find out for real? No, it, it, actually, I, and I did because now you said it. The first the first whole first paragraph doesn't help you because it says Makes it easier for customers to set up Amazon Cloud dashboards to monitor Apache workloads running on AWS. Great, thank you. And then finally, in the second paragraph, it says web servers. But you know, you, you, you got to get to the second paragraph. Like, who reads that far? Come on. AWS Snow family now enables you to order, track, and manage long-term pricing snow jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was when I was naming my children. Uh, before they were born, my wife would give me a name and then I would come up with all the ways I could make fun of it. And it was good because I would ruin names for her like, immediately. I'm like, no, you can't do that because that's what he's going to be mercilessly mocked in middle school with this this nickname. Um, and you, clearly, no one did that for Snow. No. So, mm-hmm. Snow <laughs> I feel family, like there's a position at a- AWS that needs to be filled. <laughs> I, w- I, would, I would consider it if I didn't have to stop doing the podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> I could yeah. just do just make fun of the names for them. I could I could do that. Although I think Corey yeah. would get that job before I did. Just probably. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's fine. AWS Glue Data Brew announces native console integration with Amazon AppFlow to connect to data from SaaS applications and AWS services. And this is in preview. So if there was any doubt that they have no expectation of anyone actually knowing what any one of these individual services does. This this solves it. I mean, the fact that it's in the console makes you think it's going to get imported into Honeycode or something, because you know that's the use case for this for their citizen developer. Yeah, I forgot. By the time I got to the second half of the title, I forgot the first half. Yeah, no one knows what any of this is. Yeah, it was no. so long. I had to put it there just for you to read it out loud. AWS Identity and Access Management now makes it easier for you to manage permissions. <laughs> For AWS services, accessing your resources. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Apparently, I am is not making the headlines easier to say. Uh, Damn page break. <laughs> and then you also missed the one above it, too, which was even better. <laughs> oh, you're right. I'll get to it. I'll do it. Next. Right, it's fine. We'll, get, we'll, we'll pick it up later. But, uh, you know, I am permissions that are easy to manage. That's, a, that's an oxymoron if I ever saw one. Just occasionally sneak a, a deny rule in there with all of your <laughs> allow rules it makes it fun oh yeah oh no no you can do it with scps now it's great you don't even have to be in the account just one permission outside, denied yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. no one will ever tell and with amazon firewall you can also block all the network traffic to it so you can spend you can send a developer uh-huh. on hours yeah. of troubleshooting yeah and that's why i dare developers, anyone at my day job to piss me off i dare yeah, like be nice to your <laughs> be nice to your cloud team <laughs> they can really mess you up <laughs> you complain about the pizzas i bought for happy hour okay okay oh, yeah, yeah. You didn't like the beer? Let me show you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oxymoron sounds like some clean idiots with. <laughs> <laughs> How about introducing AWS for media and entertainment? So, so fintech got a you know six thousand word blog post. Media and entertainment verticalization got you know a what's new post with like a hundred words. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, which one pays more money to Amazon? I wonder if I could guess. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder, well, you know, AWS Media and Entertainment couldn't make it here today, but I'm here to collect their award on their behalf. They would like to thank the Academy. GA announcement. Azure Site Recovery now supports cross-continental disaster recovery for three region pairs. It's one of those, you know, you had to unpack this a lot. <laughs> like, okay, so Azure Site Recovery is the automated DR thing. Cross-continental means that it's going to be, you know, like Japan to Japan, right? Or... Yeah. Okay, no, cross continent. Cross so continent. We're gonna go. We're gonna go Japan to Singapore, and then there's three pairs of them that I can choose from. So it's not like I can just choose Japan and Paris. I have to pick the pairs they already gave for me. So it's it's like it sounds like it's giving you all this flexibility, but it really didn't. 
So this is the way I read this service is general availability of a service you will never use because it will take like two meteors crashing into the planet at high rates of speed before this is needed or one fiber cut. But yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting here. They the, I just clicked on the link because I was curious what region pairs there were. So Southeast Asia and Australia East. OK, makes sense. I get that one. Southeast Asia to Australia Southeast. OK, makes sense. West Europe to South Central U.S. They, they know that Safe Harbor died, right? <laughs> Someone missed the memo. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I saw continental disaster recovery. I just wondered if it came with uh, waffles and a bowl of cereal. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Sneak attack. I was also wondering if it was related to the John Wick Continental, like the hotel yeah. and the, and the you know, I'd be fine with that too. And inter- uh, Google introduces open saves. Open source cloud native storage for games. The funniest thing about the blog post, and it's it's not funny, haha. It's funny like how, how what 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 dumb marketing is. They, they pitch this as the solution for people who who don't know how to pick a solution for for, for data storage. I mean, if you're going to pick something, you got to pick something. So either you're picking this or something else. You got to make a decision either way. Like marketing junk. <laughs> I mean, you're really you know, lucky you already won with that continental yeah. joke because you had nothing on that. <laughs> yeah, that was, no, that was, <laughs> There's, there's, there's a coherent train of thought in here someplace. Let me, let me. I almost had to take it away from you. I was working out like, okay, so you're you're a programmer and you're smart enough to be able to take 3D, you know, 3D space and basically codify it into you know sprites and action figures and things, and then make and then have a user control that through a game world and shoot people and do all kinds of craziness. Yet you can't figure out a storage technology to choose that's easy. Like, okay, S3 put. I don't understand. Yeah, like S3 whoa, whoa! How do you do that? <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. Key value pour, like, well, yeah. But you know, yeah. you want you want that that bullet to tra- you know fly through the air, like you know, no big deal. That rocket, I can do that. I can do that for you. Like, I can do it in thirty different ways for you right now. I just can't save the state of it, so I'm gonna need I'm gonna need a tool for that. Uh, all right, Peter, who won? <laughs> Waffles. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, disgusted. Justin's disgusted. I don't know why. Like, like, I just just wait till the end. Like, the last one, I'm just gonna drop some. I'm just gonna drop some bomb on the last one every time. Because, like, Jonathan, that's what Jonathan does with me every time. I'm like solid. I got like point after point after point. And then Jonathan's like hundred points, bitch, (laughs) right here. Mic drop. <laughs> Tactics. Uh, yeah. We had to make we had to make it just the best one of the day. Otherwise, Justin, you're so good at it, you win every know, week, and that's no fun for the viewers. I'm I'm challenging Ryan and Jonathan to get better. That's how I see it. Mm-hmm. You know. Yes. Yeah, we see how that's working out. Yeah. Funny, so. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so uh, so if you made it to this part of the show before we get to think something up, uh, I am out next week. So we are going to repeat. You had one job while I was away. <laughs> uh, so I have I, a prediction that we will repeat that in every way. So, so <laughs> episode one seventeen may or may not come out mid May, depending on if the team pulls it together to record a show. I am doing the show notes for them. I just am not in a location where I can record audio next week, so they are on duty for that. Uh, they may not actually go with my show notes at all, which is fine as well. They may just do something completely random. We'll just see if they get anything out for episode 117. That's really the goal. So I was thinking about a clip show, you know, how all the uh, all the sitcoms and things <laughs> they used to, all the, all the actors, actresses would go on vacation and so they do a clip show. We, we should do a clip show. <laughs> all the oh, outtakes. I, like <laughs> I mean, if only you could have thought of that for episode 100. Like, if only you could have thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> 17 see, episodes later, episode he's 200. like, <laughs> yeah, there, episode 200 idea. Yeah. All right. So uh, I am out next week, but we'll see if, uh, you know, you guys have one job comes back or not and uh, if you guys get through recording or not. So that's uh, that's going on. But uh, again, next week is KubeCon Europe. Uh, it is happening in Europe. There are things happening for Google. By the time this comes out, it'll probably be midway through the week. So you still have a chance to catch some last minute things uh, or at least review the news before we get the show out because clearly there won't be an episode next week. <laughs> so yeah. we'll talk about it in two weeks. Uh, but there's also the Amazon Summits coming up with the first one in Japan on May 10th, as I was corrected last week by Jonathan. Uh, the America one is on May 12th, which is the only one I care about, actually. I mean, I, I appreciate everyone else, but May 12th is going to be one I'm going to watch. So I'm not getting up early for any of the other ones. And then, of course, we have Amazon Container Day coming up on May 26th. Uh, Google Cloud Summits are still happening. They keep saying this article is multi- you know, going to be frequently updated, and I have yet to see it updated. Um, the Data Cloud <laughs> Summit on May 26th and the Financial Services Summit on May 27th. 
uh, for those. And then, of course, there's many other things coming up later in the year that we will share more details as we find out. So that is what's coming up here in the cloud world. And it's been another fantastic week in the cloud. See you guys next week. Well, I won't. See you later. You might see them. Yeah. (laughs) I apologize in advance. For whatever happens next week. Yeah, whatever we do. I'm very sorry. You know, I cut my, my correction view out last week because I thought, what a dick. What a dick to correct a guy at the very last few seconds of the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, I thought you left that in. I, didn't even, I haven't got that far. In- <laughs> <laughs> see ya. Bye, everybody. Good night. And that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel, go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. 